Yo, what's up? My name is Clarence. And I'm DJ Nuna. And you're listening to Up in the Air. A podcast on our thoughts, moods, and experiences on the personal, political, and cultural world around us. Come float with us. For this week's episode, we have Eden Nguyen, an all-around sweetheart and a new friend of the show. She joins us to discuss her passion and activism, the intertwining of her identity and advocacy, and vagina. Enjoy! Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is DJ Nuna, and I'm here with my co-host, Clarence. Hello, um, how do you guys do? <laughs> so we have a very, very, very special guest today. Um, her name is Eden. Eden, thank you so much for joining us. Yay, thank you for having me. <laughs> I usually um, am the person asking questions, so this is kind of a new experience for me. But I'm really happy to be here. I'm Eden. Um, I'm a third year at UW, uh, and I really love my community. Um, yeah, we we really wanted to have you on the show just because you know Jubilee and I both follow you on you know different social media platforms, and we noticed that you do a lot of um, sharing about your activism and other things like that. And so we really wanted to kind of hear about your perspective on things and just. Kind of learn about your story and how you got started um so I, i'm curious you know before we start everything off i'm just wondering like how are you doing how's quarantine how's covid um i mean it's been okay i i found out that i'm a lot more of a homebody than i thought i was um so i've been doing okay and i've been watching like a lot of k-dramas and i think like my eyes got more puffy because i've been having like 12 hours of screen time every day which is like so toxic. And um, I mean, my mom just had a baby. So that's kind of lifted up my spirits a little bit. I feel like, like when you have a new baby in the house, that love is like the purest thing in the world. So I, I just been really enjoying like watching him grow and like learn things every day. Like he's three weeks old and he can already lift up his head. I'm so proud wow. of him. Oh, that's so that's cute. Amazing. I know, he has a strong ass neck. Wait, can I swear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay. <laughs> loose. Oh, that's so cute. Are you the oldest child? Yeah, I'm I'm the eldest of my family. So I have um, a sister who is seven, um, a brother on my dad's side who's going on two, and then my new brother who's three weeks old. Yeah, so there's a pretty big age gap. Oh, that's so cute. But it's good to hear that you've been spending time with family. And honestly, as the oldest child, that's like a lot of work that you have to do, especially with quarantine in your home all the time. But I feel you on the screen time. Like mine is like ranging 10 to 11 hours. And I'm like, how is that even possible? <laughs> I, I feel like every time you get that like weekly report or whatever, you're just like, damn. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I have like, uh, yours increased by 2% this week. Like every week I'm like gradually going up and up and up. Yeah, I, I'm just like thinking about what the ramifications are, you know, like in the future for our generation. Like our, our, our eyes is going to be all fucked up when we're like, in like 20 Honestly. years now. <laughs> Have your eyes gotten more like sensitive lately? To light, yes. I will. I don't know if I'm tripping, but like every time I go out, I'm like, I need my sunglasses because it's like super bright. No, me too. Like I, I tried to look out the window the other day. <laughs> I started tearing up because it was too much. <laughs> That's oh, crazy. Yeah. 
I just started wearing like the blue light lenses and I don't know if it actually does help, but just because I'm staring at my computer all day, but you mentioned earlier that um, you love your community and we'd love to hear kind of more about which communities you're part of um, and also like how your identity impacts like your community work and things like that. Yeah, um, so I consider myself, well, I am Vietnamese and um, so I try to stay involved in the Vietnamese community. I'm the vice president of operations for VSA, the Vietnamese Student Association at UW. Um, so I've been working on um, trying to for find more ways to like show international solidarity, but also like solidarity with uh, people in our motherland. Um, I also am bisexual, so I consider myself a part of the queer community, um, and that's something that's really important to me and something that I've been growing into over the years. Um, and then, uh, what else? Just like the Southeast Asian community in general and trying to show up where we can. Um, I think my passion for everything, especially like just my identity, um, like being a Southeast Asian woman or a Vietnamese woman is, it had largely to do with a trip to Vietnam when I was 16. And I like literally cried because my mom's like, you're going on this trip. And I was like, I don't want to go because I can't speak Vietnamese. I was like, dude, they don't even have toilets. Like, no, I, I was like, I was so against it because like, I didn't even remember my relatives because the last time I went, I was five. And I was like, like, please don't make me go. Like, and I can't miss school because I was like hella studious at the time. <laughs> That's when everything was easy in high school. <laughs> but um, I ended up going and it was just so like amazing to see my family, the woman in my family especially. So like a little backstory, um, in my family, there's only two men technically on my mom's side, my grandpa and my uncle, the rest are girls, there's like seven girls. Um, and so we kind of grew up like very um, woman dependent mm -hmm. and going there, I think it was the same thing. There were a lot of women in my family who like had the same kind of bluntness and witty humor as as we did and it's just like I was so amazed to see how it kind of ran in the family even though we're like thousands of miles away and just how empowered they were um, especially like I think I don't know about other cultures but in Vietnamese culture it tends to be very patriarchal and that wasn't really the case for my family um, and just seeing how that can transcend cultures and um, things like that was really interesting to me and then I started trying to find ways to incorporate my culture into my high school which was like all white and um, so I like made the first culture week and stuff like that and really tried to push um, to to like bring the spotlight to the people of color who were at our school that's like the very very roots of when I actually started caring and realizing that organizing actually did work um, and then, I don't know, I just kind of kept meeting really amazing people along the way. Um, a lot of my friends that I've met at UDAP have given me a lot of guidance and confidence um, and resources. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's kind of how it led me up to who I am today. 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, it's really cool to hear about like your story connecting back with the motherland because I definitely resonate with that because I can speak conversational Korean, but it's like really broken and I have a really strong American accent. So I, I resonate with like that fear of, oh, what if I don't, what if I go back to the motherland and I don't feel like integrated in Korean culture because I'm, I'm Korean American. Um, but yeah, I think Korean culture is also very patriarchal. So it is humbling to be surrounded by other strong, um, independent women and how, like how it looks like in the context of different cultures, like in Vietnam or Korea, but yeah. How was it like, um, transitioning from like a predominantly white community to, um, UW where you were able to be in like a Vietnamese community and UW does have quite a big East Asian population. Um, I was looking at the demographics earlier this week, but how was that transition um, for you? Um, it's kind of funny because I, you know, I was under the impression that UW was a lot more diverse than it actually is. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like that's like their selling point. They're like, wow, we have like so many people uh, like from different backgrounds and stuff like that, but like when I got there and like when I was in the classes and I looked around and I was like, something, something. It's an add up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but joining VSA like had such a big impact on me. Uh, just like being able to um, not only like learn about my culture, but also find like common, um, common threads throughout all of our stories, but also the way that being Vietnamese is not monolithic and the way that I've gotten to learn about like the vastness of our culture and of our, like the Vietnamese experience. Um, and just like being an officer for VSA and my roommate, she was involved in um, the Filipino American Student Association. So I kind of got connected with FASA and that, that was like such a big turning point because like there are so many cool girls in FASA that I have a crush on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they like, I've never met people who like have affirmed my identity um, in such like, a comforting and like kind way and so just like meeting all of those people um I don't know I don't know like how to put it it's just like very like feels like you finally grown into your your person you know like I felt like I was always trying to figure it out or like trying to fit or like assimilate into something that wasn't me mm -hmm. and now I feel like I don't have to like pretend or um act anymore yeah that's that's what well said i feel like i had a similar experience you know with in terms of like high school i think julie also we both went to like predominantly white um high schools and so for me personally like i was kind of rejecting my identity at first you know because i was i wanted to fit in i wanted to make friends with these you know, like super tall dudes and like, <laughs> you know, like these lanky dudes. And I'm like, bro, I was trying to be lanky too. <laughs> and I think like, it, it's funny because like once I got to college and like, you know, as a senior and going into college, like I definitely became more aware of my identity and like how I was, you know, like different than a lot of the people that I went to school with. And so, I mean, I, I also, um, you know, sought out these kind of like, communities of color on campus and I think that's 
yeah it's like it's so it's so you know like refreshing to see people that look like you and then to also like like i i became friends with a lot of people that also um lived in south seattle and so that was like a really nice like connecting point for me um but yeah that's like it's really nice that you did get to kind of build the connection you know within the vietnamese community but also with you know like the filipino community as well no yeah i think fasa and vsa are two like cultural organizations that have really stuck out to me um because they are very they they have a very intersectional approach to their programming and events um when it comes to yeah focusing on like southeast asian and pacific islanders and standing in solidarity with those communities um because i remember my freshman year i went to ksa and I, since i am a very americanized korean i remember feeling like a very big gap in my understanding of like korean korean culture and so um yeah that was an interesting experience and i agree i think u-dub does pride itself on being really diverse and inclusive um but we see you know in the stats with like the faculty um, there's not a lot of representation there and they also don't focus on like the bipoc or like the black and indigenous communities like their percentage is extremely low where the asian community is quite higher like close to the white community um, but then obviously within the asian community there's a lot of different people that that's that one title is representing so yeah i think um it's really important for communities to represent what they're claiming to be because i don't think UW is doing the most when it comes to like actively creating safe spaces for bipoc people um but yeah clarence and i both grew up in predominantly white spaces and had white friends for a, like quite a long time, I'd say. Um, and Clarence went to like an all guys school. So that on top of that. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So when I came to college, I was like, whoa. <laughs> no, I, I think it's funny too, because like for a long time, I, I also wanted, like my school was really small, you know? And so you knew a person or like, also, especially me, they're like, oh, you're that the one Chinese kid and like, yeah yeah and so it's like it's like super frustrating too you know so i think when i when i came to uw i kind of wanted to just be an outcast for a little bit like mm. take a dial back and like just do my own thing go to school and then leave you know because like i didn't feel very i don't know like i didn't want to be involved too much because it just like it was like the first time where i could just like do my own thing you know at school but mm -hmm. yeah Oh, sorry, did it cut out? Um, but yeah, you mentioned also your identity as um, a person in the queer community, how that has also shaped your experiences. Um, but like intersecting that with your Asian identity, did you find any challenges or barriers when intersecting those two? Um, like, what was your experience with that? I think I kind of have like a pretty different experience than a lot of people. Um, well, first thing is I technically only came out to my mom, like all my friends know and stuff like that, but I was like, my mom's the only one that I really care about knowing. Um, so I came out to her and I was like so scared because, you know, there's, there's a lot of homophobia in the Asian community. Um, gosh, she is so sweet. She was like, um, 
Well, first you were like, how do you know? Like, are you sure? <laughs> like, did, you, did you just watch a movie and you just stared at the girl? She's <laughs> not like confused. She's like, I I mean, like, you can think girls are pretty. And I was like, I know. I think girls are pretty and I want to hold their hand and date them. <laughs> but after that, she was like, uh, my, like, if I have an unconditional love for you, that means that I like it doesn't affect who my love doesn't affect or isn't affected by who you love and so that like really stuck with me because she's the only person I care about really um but while like going to UW was the first time where I like actually started meeting other queer Asian people so that was really exciting just like knowing that we're taking up space at an institution like UW was really um just like kind of empowering but also realizing um how heteronormative a lot of things are just like even the readings even the way that we talk and things like that and that's something that i've also been working on and um even like the way that i talk to my sister um just like trying to teach her like you know like you can love who you want to uh do you know what a warm on this uh a warm on a string is? I don't think I've heard that term before. <laughs> it's like an actual, like, it's like this fuzzy thing on a string and it has oh. on it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think, I thought that was like a saying, like a... No, no. <laughs> I was like, what's that? But, but my sister was like, this is Carol and she's a girl and a boy. Aww. And then I was like, oh well you know it doesn't have to have a gender it can be non-binary and i taught her like that kind of stuff and just like opening the windows for the younger generations in the asian community and showing them like there there doesn't always have to be a binary to everything and kind of like decolonizing that mentality um is kind of one small way that i that i am hoping that i'm serving um the queer community by yeah yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's so true. And I've been hearing the term more like decolonize your mind. And really, it's kind of overwhelming to think about how many norms have been fed to us when it comes to like body image, gender identity, sexuality, and things like that. Um, and even looking at like the curriculum um, of like the classes that we've been in. Um, even in like the individuals in society, like the writing classes, how most of the readers or like the writers I've read from are all like white cisgender men. And that's just kind of the information that's fed to us over the years. So it does take a lot of a lot of like learning and unlearning. I think uh, like the unlearning part is something to really pay attention to for sure. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Mm hmm. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I think especially the unlearning part is, like, with my parents, I, you know, like, I always try to start a conversation about, you know, what's happening in the news, and, like, it's, luckily, like, my parents are, are quite, you know, up to date with things, and, like, they have, uh, you know, like, a pretty good understanding of, you know, what Black Lives Matter is, and, like, kind of those topics, and I think I can imagine other families and, like, other you know, like maybe Asian communities and other, you know, like having difficulties, like kind of starting that conversation. Have you ever had that experience where, you know, like 
if you're talking to a family member or to relatives or even like your friends, like starting those those more like uncomfortable conversations, have you experienced some difficulties with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I I tried to talk about the protests with my mom. Um, it got like a little bit heated though, just because there's, um, you know, my family was an immigrant family and they like built their own nail salon and stuff like that. So they're really like, they really subscribe to the bootstraps mentality. And so I think that when, when the riots happened and there was like property destruction, like growing up with the bootstraps mentality, thinking like you work hard, you get things and, and I think that ends up like you end up being very like close friends with capitalism and um so she couldn't see past the property destruction and i was trying to make this point i was like the issue is is that you care more about the property destruction than the people that are dying she's like that's not true i just don't like how they're and i was like yeah it's 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 like you know, you always try to get like the bigger picture, you know, because like very like sure, like on the surface, it's property damage and whatnot, mm-hmm. right? And like it's also difficult because there there are parties within the protest that, that you know don't care about anything really. Yeah, they're like unaffiliated with. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's like it's, it's it is a tricky situation. Like I can totally understand kind of like that perspective and how you know, like, but it's still happening. Like, can you explain that? And you're like, well, I mean. Unfortunately, that's just there's some people that's just shitty people. They just mm-hmm. eat, capitalize on this, you know, protest. But also, I mean, to be fair, there there are like some protesters um, with the Black Lives Matter movement that are making a statement um, with the property damage. And I personally, I think it's an effective statement because it does make you think, like, why why the police the police care more about protecting property than like actual lives mm-hmm. yeah. and. I just think like at this point where the demands and the ask and the abolitionists, all these people have spent so long trying to push these demands um, and they haven't been met yet and they like are continuing to be targeted and um, there's like so many structural factors that are, are like pigeonholing them I that's a bad word but whatever um but I mean there's there's like a lot of burdens that they're having to carry and I feel like at this point it's not really our place to judge how how they choose to react to it yeah there's there's been so many chances right to right I mean it's like any you think of any like successful revolution or like any revolution to begin with and like of course there's going to be destruction and like yeah I, I read something that said basically like peaceful protests are kind of like ironic because the idea of peace is to to like not disrupt anything and like leave things as they are so right. like it's is a protest even a protest if it's peaceful mm-hmm. just because then it's yeah. like what what are you really trying to disrupt mm-hmm. you're just like being complacent and Right. And I think that's why a lot of people that disagree with the looting, they love to quote Martin Luther King because he was a figure of the civil rights movement that was like very focused on peaceful protesting. And like Clarence and I mentioned in a different episode about like the stigma with Malcolm X because he had like a different approach 
And I think that with peace, um, I think that has a lot to do with like convenience because it's like, oh, it's not hurting me or hurting, like for example, like the looting or like the vandalism. I think that is, I agree with you. It's just another valid way of protesting. And I read in a book um, between the world and me, and it was just kind of talking about looting and how America was literally founded on looting and on violence. And now you're saying it's destructive and it's invalid way of protesting. So, and we see that literally on campus with the UWBLM and BSU chapter and how they are protesting the statue to meet the seven demands. And UW is so focused on removing the art on the statue because they're so anti-looting. And at this point, I, I feel like an being anti-looting is being anti-black and anti-black liberation because like they have to go to that extent because they're not meeting the demands. So. Yeah, I mean, I so before I got on this call, I was listening in on this event that was like through our eyes, the experience, uh, like the black student experience mm. at UW. And they were talking about how like, you know, removing the statue is literally the bare minimum. That's like the least right. you can do. And and it's it's getting their attention, you know, but they're still not willing to meet it. And so that's why I feel like UW is like I have beef with you, Dub. Yeah. Because they're they're like so performative in their allyship. Mm -hmm. I know. Like, I have beef with Anna or whoever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Freaking Miss President. The she no. It pisses me yeah. off. There there was this thing where she was like at like some type of meeting with black students mm, she was yeah. like i don't think i've ever heard of a negative experience of a black student at uw before and i was like that is the most disrespectful thing yeah. oh my gosh yeah i watched a little bit of that too and i was like wow she she literally doesn't know how to listen and to acknowledge her wrongdoings and i think that's that is the main or that's like not the main but the first step towards like actual activism is you have to like you have to admit that you're imperfect and that you also that her her actions are just anti-black <laughs> like she she isn't listening so uh yeah i think we oh it's for those of you that aren't at uw um last month august was black august so the uw blm and bsu chapter we're protesting at the George Washington statue, um, which was one of their seven demands. Um, one of them being that George Washington um, was a racist figure, so they're calling to remove the statue. Um, but yeah, UW has diligently sent in people to clean and remove the art, like almost every single day. So it really does show where their priorities are because it is performative. Like they are more. They, more, they care more about like the appearance, like they don't want that on their campus, especially like with students coming in to tour and school starting soon. So um, that is the rundown right now. And while I'm here, I'll take <laughs> the time to tell y'all the demands just because mm -hmm. we have this platform right now. Yes. Um, so number one is break all ties with the Seattle Police Department and other local law enforcement agencies. Mm -hmm. Two is disarm and divest from the UWPD. 
Third is to allocate funds to Black RSOs and the American Ethnic Studies Department. Mm -hmm. Four, hire more Black faculty. Five, increase the diversity credit requirement and make African studies a major. Six, remove statues and monuments of racist figures. And seven is fund and expand mental health resources for all UW students. Mm -hmm. So like this isn't even things that will just benefit um, Black students on campus. This is something that will benefit a lot of people, um, our community at UW. And so I think um, there's really no reason not to support it. And the silence is very loud right now from mm -hmm. UW administration. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so I think recently, Jubilee, we saw that ASU Dove, you know, posted that they are in support of BSU's demands. And, you know, like we, Jubilee and I both work with the arts and entertainment under ASU Dove. And so it's like nice that we have that, you know, but we definitely have to work it up the chain and like for, you know, the, the leaders of UW to really like, notice and like i mean not notice but to really take action you know right like UW, i mean so like ACW is the student government so they have um announced solidarity for the blm chapter we have black faculty black tas that are currently voicing their support for blm so it's not like yeah they're uw is intentionally going out of their way to not listen to students employees faculty so it's it's kind of wild and they've had a whole month as well um more than a month they've had like several months to listen to these demands so yeah i don't know i i know that you mentioned about uw how it this is like performative activism and we see that in how they've posted um like posts like oh we we value black students um president anna has sent out emails saying the typical, like, we hear you, we see you, like, all that bullshit. Um, but yeah, Clarence and I were wondering about your thoughts on performative activism. Um, is that something that you've witnessed, um, like, on your own social media platforms? Because that's also been a conversation topic. And how do you kind of navigate that? Like, if you witness it, um, what's your kind of response to that? Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like everybody at some point has engaged in performative activism. And I feel like it's just your your goal should be to just continually strengthen your critical lens and like be able to look at things and think like how how am i benefiting people by doing this mm -hmm. um and one of the i think one of the people's like favorite examples of performative activism would be that whole black square thing on instagram mm -hmm. um, and just like the reason why it was performative is because it, for a lot of people that was their one and only post concerning black lives matter and also they would use the blm hashtag along with it so a lot of resources that were on instagram got basically drowned out mm -hmm. um and just like in general the timeline was drowned out by black squares so like if you were following thought leaders and, or like um organizations and mutual aid things on Instagram, like it would be really hard to find it then. So that was something that ended up being counterproductive. Um, and I don't think, I don't think people should be too scared 
to engage with certain movements but i do think like they they should think like how is this benefiting and how instead can i benefit people or like serve people in like a material way and am i actually listening to black people or indigenous people or whoever whatever community that you're trying to help are you listening to the people that are actually a part of the community or are you listening to your homies who like don't really know what's going on Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i mean i think it's unavoidable though to to always get it right every time and i don't want people to like be scared about it because what matters most is that they're trying but Mm -hmm. also that they're willing to be wrong and correct from there you know Mm -hmm. i think that's why like a lot of people are scared of of getting into all of this stuff it's just because they're they're scared to be wrong but it's okay because there's a lot of as long as as long as you're like actively trying to educate yourself um and you want to do better and show up as a more healthy member of your community um from here on out then that's like the most that you can really ask for yeah i feel like that's super important and even like really fixating on like am i doing this correctly am i doing this enough i feel like um it's that like you're centering yourself in that narrative and it's hard to listen to others when you're just listening to like your own needs and your own desires and things like that but yeah i remember um yeah like blackout tuesday how the intentions behind that movement was good because it was started by two black women who were i think they worked at billboard um but yeah, it's kind of wild. I remember Clarence and I talked about it, how like a lot of people that we knew like kept their posts up or and kept the hashtags on there despite like so many posts addressing like, hey, this is doing a bit, this is doing more harm than actual good and the intention is no longer there. So yeah, that was, I can't believe, I think that was in, was that in June? Oh, that was a while ago, yeah. I can't believe that was like the same year. <laughs> like it's, it feels like it's you've, been, you've been like quarantining for six months. That's half a year. Like I barely got to write twenty twenty down on my paper. No, like, for real. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Eden, that's so funny because I remember you used to like go in just like you know writing like on your on your notebook like you like decorate or, like you like highlight stuff like really nicely. <laughs> I didn't get to write it this year. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I, this is kind of like a side thing. Yeah. So Clarence and I used to be, uh, we met in an American Ethnic Studies class. Um, and <laughs> when we first met, okay, we first met, and I was like, hi, my name is Eden, we shook hands, blah, blah, blah. And then the second day of class, I was like, hi, my name is Eden. <laughs> I reintroduced myself to him because he was wearing different colored glasses. Oh, yeah. It, and it's like, <laughs> because for, like, I wear a hat a lot, you know, and so, like, I can imagine like days when I get a haircut and like I don't wear a hat. You're like, who the fuck is that? Threw <laughs> me off so bad, but I use that story to like prove to people like I swear to God I'm not like being a bitch. <laughs> I can't remember people's faces. It takes like five times for it to really click. No, I remember that when that happened. I was like, this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. <laughs> so bad that's I was so funny. embarrassed because I was like that guy looks like the guy that I met yesterday but he looks <laughs> a little bit different <laughs> you know it's funny because like when I think about that class so like you know there I take a lot of classes especially uh, the last two years being in you know like my major like I we always have that third class that elective that you take you know and so 
I'm like thinking to myself before I sign up for the class, I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna go to this class, let's do my thing and then like leave, you know? And like, I always kind of overlook the, the like becoming friends with people part of it, you know? And so it was really like nice and refreshing when you like, you're like, hi, I'm Eden, you know? It's just like the initial like introduction was super nice. And yeah, that's a funny, that was a fun class too. I'm really happy that I met you and like, you know, your friends too. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole group was really fun. I'm, I'm kind of sad, like I haven't, I haven't talked to, um, yeah, the people that we met. <laughs> 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 just like, uh. I'm trying to, no, like one of them was Kevin and, Kevin. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember you guys came to our design showcase too like after class and that was so sweet that was really sweet oh i remember that i think clarence was like oh my gosh my classmates came to yeah support. i still have your stickers from the booth oh, oh my god that's, that's so fire <laughs> i'm a i'm like a hoarder with stickers i can't commit to putting them on things so i just like hold on to them for really long time. Dude, even even i don't have those stickers anymore <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't get any either yeah. <laughs> that was that was really nice though i yeah i'm like it was very just like heartwarming you know to see like actual people show up to you. our show yeah. that's really well, nice i i love like design and stuff like that just like i love artists like i'm such a big fan of my friend and also like you guys you know no matter how close we are you're a part of the community too so just like being able to show up and like so you guys do what you're really good at that's that's like what excites me yeah that's so sweet no yeah i yeah, I didn't know Eden personally. Um, I know Clarence knew her of her from the class, and then I think in passing we met each other in that one showcase. But I found Eden from Twitter because she had like a lot of like informative threads that I thought were really intentionally put together. I think there was one about um, ableist language, which is something that I've been really trying to be more intentional about um, because it's yeah you gotta decolonize your mind because there's so much language that you don't know like where it originated and things like that and then i also saw that one about vaginas and i was like oh my gosh this is so cool and i think why like vaginas are such taboo like the people don't talk about it and yeah, and guys don't know about it seriously wait that's so funny because <laughs> yeah, so jubilee jubilee sent me this like picture of a tampon last night it was like <laughs> it's a pad not a tampon <laughs> see this point proven right yeah oh my god anyway she was sent me that and she was like draw how much blood you think <laughs> now appears on this oh i, I remember seeing this on your story yeah <laughs> yeah clarence wait what did you draw again I just said fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even draw, but yeah, I think when we talk about like body image, I think um, we think a lot about um, like actual bodies, like types and um, like acne or like boobs, but yeah, vaginas are not as normalized um, when it comes to that conversation. So I really appreciated that. But I was wondering like when you kind of, Put those threads together like where do you usually like or like how do you do your research and like what inspires you to make those types of threads and things like that funny thing is threads like that almost always happen because i'm upset mm -hmm. <laughs> like Fine. so i saw a tweet um on twitter that was like 
two sandwiches and one was like the the like ham or whatever was like all like strewn about and then another one was like the ham was like very neatly packed into the sandwich and and apparently a dad was bragging about this and was like I showed my daughter and I was like this is what the nice one was like this is what your vagina looks like and the like messy one was like this is what Taylor Swift's vagina looks like and I was like so pissed I was like first of all gross that you're even talking about your daughter's vagina to her second of all how dare you talk to her about that when you don't even know like what labias are like yeah and so it just like it baffled me because i this is the kind of talk that i've heard from um guys i went to school with or just like off-handed comments like oh like this this or she's probably like so tight or like oh she's probably fucked so many guys that she looks like uh whatever sandwich and like things like that where i'm like you clearly don't know what a vagina does mm-hmm. and that's where it started for real <laughs> yeah so the research part of it is just like for me you know it's like what what did i not know before before i learned this and um what am i curious about and then you, you know google from there like um, anatomy of vagina, um, <laughs> what else, uh, what affects tightness and stuff like that, like, you know, just, just questions and try to find reputable sources and look at a lot of different sources to make sure that you're not messing things up, because mm-hmm. um, I, like, I would hate to misinform people, but also leaving the room for people to correct me is okay, too. Yeah, for, okay, yeah, I think that I just hate when people that don't have vaginas talk about vaginas as if they know everything about it especially it happens to be oftentimes like cisgender men um and even we saw that like in response to WAP like the Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B how I I remember seeing this video on this guy saying like wet ass pussies are unhealthy and they're undesirable and they're not normal and it's like uh, <laughs> you don't know anything about that but yeah I think it's um yeah really great that you're able to put these sources together and really I think it's good to feel angry and to feel something and to like channel it into educating yourself and like sharing it with others too um because I learned a lot about vaginas through that thread yeah because um, yeah, I, I know some of my girlfriends too they're like Am I normal? You know, like, <laughs> I hate that that's even a question because we generally don't know the answer. And it's like, there is no normal vagina. Everybody has them. They're all different. And that's okay. Like, don't let, like, people who don't have vaginas be talking about your vagina like they know what it's like and they know what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, definitely. I think I, that... Oh, were you saying something? <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, I'm thinking about when I was in high school with all guys. You can imagine... The sort of conversations that people have about this and it's like it's like it's it's amazing how defensive people get you know when you like try to correct them or you like try to inform them on something you know like they're like bro like i know exactly what you're like i saw it you know it's like there's just this sort of stigma and like almost this toxic masculinity kind of thing where it's it's like you have to defend your honor or else like you know what i mean like it's like if you don't if you act like you don't know then it's like you get shamed and all that and so yeah i feel like that's super refreshing that you did that and also it's funny on thinking about like you angrily like researching 
<laughs> I'm like sweating. Yeah, sweating, but like you're getting all the sources, you're like. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, I think definitely acknowledging your wrongdoing or um, ideas that you have that um, you are supposed to unlearn, I think is really important when entering the conversation. Like I told Clarence about this because, yeah, ableist language is really on my mind. And I remember seeing an Instagram thread about Comic Sans. And since Clarence and I are designers, we interact a lot with typography. Mm-hmm. And like Comic Sans is like a really memed type just because it's like, it's been deemed as unprofessional, really childlike. And yeah, just more used for memes and things like that. And um, the post was basically talking about how Comic Sans is one of the most easy to read typefaces for people that um, have disabilities or are dyslexic um, just because it's really and that's why it's used for children because it's really easy to like recognize the curves and things like that and I reposted it and said like oh as designers like we need to stop like really stigmatizing this typeface and like maybe lean into it more and this one I won't name who it was but this one designer um that i know was like oh i'd rather be ableist than ever use comic sans and i was like i'm gonna fight you and i i actually responded kind of aggressively and i i got left on red but i think that is the exact or not the exact but that's kind of there's like three responses like you either say like oh this is really insightful and i'm going to you know like add it to the or like kind of allow it to shape my thinking for my beliefs and my values or you can either just argue and reject and really kind of just not listen or I guess some people are really brave and are willfully ignorant (laughs) so that's also another like that's also kind of dangerous Um, but at this point I also kind of believe that no one can be unintentionally ignorant at this point um, I think it's to an extent all willful. So yeah, yeah. I I feel like that's like a lot of why I'm so big on sharing on social media is just because I'm like I'm gonna give you no excuse to not know. Like yeah. I'm gonna put this in your face so hard that like if you you have no excuse, you have to know us at this point, you know. Yeah. But that's so frustrating that people are like very elitist too i i mean i have some fonts that i don't like but that's because (laughs) um but yeah like comic sans like if you if maybe like if you don't like it you don't have to use it but like if other people do realize that you know likely like fonts were chosen for a reason Mm -hmm. and I used to really like Comic Sans because it helped me read too. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like you don't have to use Comic Sans, but maybe look for typefaces that kind of are similar, like have that really easy like curve to it. But yeah, I was just taken back by that comment because, you know, people are just brave and um, I don't know, I just thought it was really helpful to like learn the history behind it. But I agree. I I think Clarence and I have talked about how important it is to share on your social medias because, um, like, your platforms are it's your network of people. That's who you interact with. That's the content that you consume. And if you learn f- something from it, then someone else will too. 
And I've just heard a lot of different people say like, oh, I just don't think my friends like need to know this or have, haven't already learned this. And I think it's just, it's interesting. Like some people are very will also like willful to not post or to not share. Yeah, I feel like the thing is like, sorry. Oh, you're good. <laughs> My road is like, people love to do polls and stuff like that. It's so annoying. Um, but people love to be like, well, I'm doing a lot outside of social media, but it's just like social media is such a strong component of, you know, like, like, for example, on my birthday, I had the whole, like, fundraiser thing um, for Queer the Land, and I raised almost $2,000. Like, that's the, the power of social media, and I only spent a week on that. And that was, like, barely any effort on my part. So there's a lot of ways to really mobilize through social media. Right. But also, I mean, I do want to give credit to what you can do in the real world, <laughs> in the real world. Um, like you know donating i try to donate as much as i can as like a broke unemployed person <laughs> um but i mean yeah I, I try to like give actual material support um i you know not asking your black friends to educate you like that's a really easy way right. um even like a lot of white people have messaged me and be like uh can you explain to me why this is racist and i'm like i encourage you to read a book mm. um, because that's my <laughs> emotional labor. Google. <laughs> yeah dude seriously google is like oh. i learned so much from google and like you know reading out I'll, I'll give them a book list and i'll be like google is your friend and i'll send them on their way because that's mm -hmm. just like not something that i want to get into yeah <laughs> there's i mean there's also like a lot of petitions and email um what is it email campaigns and stuff like that and just like you know really keeping your finger on the pulse like personally i can't go out to protest because my mom and my little brother are high risk mm -hmm. um but you know i i try to show support in other material ways more than just you know like reposting things on my story mm -hmm. yeah definitely i think a lot of the people that I've conversed with that are the ones that are kind of scared, like, oh, I don't think I'm doing enough or I don't think I'm doing this right, um, have more of like a two-dimensional perspective on like what what does activism look like and like what like what are your boundaries and what what is my platform actually? And I, I think it's, it's really um, up to you because you have like some people do have um, the ability to like be frontlining at the protests. Some people have the funds, so that's how they can support. Hopefully everyone has like access to petitions, you know, like if you have an email address, you can help with the email campaigning. And I think that, um, yeah, it's just really important that it's like consistent and ongoing and genuine. Um, like, I don't know, especially with like donating, I've seen people post like one time I saw this like privilege bingo donation thingy and I was like this is not sitting well with me <laughs> but yeah I don't know it's like it has to be like activism is multifaceted and it also needs to be like yeah genuine and consistent so I don't know it's been interesting to see how different people participate in the conversation for sure.
Yeah, it's funny too because you know all the time, especially because I can't be on frontline, and I'm very much the person that would like love to be, you know, out and about and um, advocating and things like that. I like, I was always like, I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I'm not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, you can never do enough until the work is done. Right. Like, so I, I think that's just some like a, an, an uncertainty that you have to live with mm-hmm. and just keep pushing because the work isn't done until the work is done. Like we, we've right. got a long way to go mm-hmm. and there's never too much that you can contribute, you know? So, cool. And know. like, since all of us are identified as Asian American, it's really important that we acknowledge like we are POC, but we're also like non-Black POC. So we have a role in our own communities and we will never ever like fully know um, like emotionally or physically what it's like to be a Black American during this and his, like and everything that's happened in the past too. Um, like I've been seeing a lot of like Asian American activism posts that are kind of harmful because they pit like our communities against like the black communities and our struggles and I think that there's a lot of a lot of harm in that because you can't ever like put two people's experiences parallel because like it's an intersectional you have to approach it like intersectionally so I see that a lot I actually like a couple months ago um someone I know posted about like the anti-blackness in the Asian community and um there were a lot of Asian people that started attacking her and they were like, well, black people like are racist to Asians. And I'm like, why do you only bring up those like instances when we try to talk about anti-blackness in our community? That's Mm -hmm. how you know, like they don't actually care about like when people are being racist against Asian Americans, they only care to deflect from our anti-blackness and like to deflect from us trying to reflect and unlearn anti-blackness in our community mm-hmm, definitely I feel like that's the same with all lives matter it's like it's it's not its own movement it's a response mm-hmm. and it's like a distraction for real yeah i think that's the main thing like it's there is a time and place to talk about um racism against asian americans but like please recognize that when you're bringing it up in response to racism against black folks like yeah you're you're just detracting the conversation and centering yourself and yeah i think one account that really stood out to me is this account called like segregation and like well first of all like it's a pun isn't it yeah and kind of like that's like a a weird play on words but um i've been seeing a lot of like why are we talking about asian american racism and it's like Y'all won't shut up about it. I know. I was like, bro, we are. Like, don't you remember, like, during the peak or, like, the start of COVID, like, Asian Americans were accurately, like, shown in the media. And, like, we weren't perpetuated as, like, villain or we weren't villainized because that's not, like, the model minority myth kind of just, like, makes us more like tame or like more obedient to c- citizens so i don't know those posts kind of just rub me the wrong way um, i feel like a lot of people are so like against acknowledging the ways that asian americans have been violent against other groups of color like specifically black folks but you know a lot of other minorities as well is like 
it makes them uncomfortable to acknowledge that we have some type of privilege and honestly like when i was younger i feel like i kind of felt the same way where i was like what do you mean i'm a person of color like i i've dealt with racism like i i always wanted to center myself because that's all that i cared about at the time but then growing up you're like you know we all benefit from racial justice why does it always have to be about us you know like i mean there's a time and a place and sometimes those things intersect but you know like there sometimes things are a little bit more pressing than others and that's okay and it doesn't mean that yours is less important it's just timing definitely i think also like since the three of us grew up in predominantly white spaces um like for me um, like the little community that I was in, it was like we had like a multicultural club in high school and it was predominantly East Asian and Latino and Hispanic. And so, yeah, that definitely limited my my lens and my perspective because um, like during our meetings, we would only talk about the issues that we experienced in that school setting. So I think, yeah, definitely coming to UW and the past couple of months has really opened my eyes on yeah the violence in our own communities especially in like the korean community as well um like we my sister and i watched la 92 and i was absolutely like disgusted by like the the rooftop shooters and everything happening i don't know that documentary was have you all seen that as well? I haven't, but I know I know a little bit about the LA riots. Yeah. Um, also wild that I didn't even learn about the LA riots until college. That's uh, the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Eurocentric right. learning totally fucks you up. Like, dude, I I didn't learn about the Vietnam War until mm-hmm. last year. Like, I didn't like genuinely learn about the Vietnam War until last year. Mm-hmm. My history teacher didn't even want to talk about it because she said it was like too ugly, and then we moved on in high school. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's crazy how like how you know the teachers can mold your education. Like, you know, you really realize how important teachers are too, right? Because mm-hmm. they have such a fundamental like part of your life and so I remember like and when I was in high school I had one like my U.S. history teacher when I was a freshman like he gave us an opportunity to choose our own topics and so like like I chose the LA riots to talk about and like you know I, I feel like it's it's crazy how like a lot of students in my class were choosing these topics that no one ever covers too because like you just you get you see how much history is overlooked and like how how these topics are just like not talked about ever mm-hmm. you know but right yeah. and i think my friends and i recently talked about this um we were having a book club um which was like a really nice space to talk about our own experiences but yeah we realized that we had like a really fucked up view on what war was because when you're being taught about war in school you're super isolated from the actual violence that occurred because they're not ever like they don't yeah they don't like to talk about genocide when the americans are at fault when they talk about like the revolution or like when america was discovered like they really the language that they use is like oh they founded they founded um 
Newfoundland. <laughs> I don't even know like the terms. I forgot about it. But it's like they they romanticize like the founding of America, even though it was yeah once again like literally built on genocide, um, disease, rape, and things like that. And you don't really learn about that until college um, in like diversity classes. I I feel like. That's also another reason why you that needs to meet the demands of increasing like the diversity credits and also investing in um, the AES department because people shouldn't have to learn these things if they like only if they intentionally go out of their way to take these classes like it should be a given. So I think like UW is only at is it a five or a ten credit diversity requirement? Five. It's five. Five. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you only need one. Wow, that is wild. That is appalling. <laughs> so as UW students, we take a total of at least 180 credits. Mm-hmm. And only five is dedicated to diversity. And okay, not to like bash on, say, like Scandinavian history, but I just think like, you know, a lot of people are like taking these like very niche classes for no reason like they don't have any interest in it it's for an easy a for the diversity so like there's really no reason for them to actually even take an aes class at all or like an afram class or like something that would actually like um you know add to like their world understanding they would rather be like definitely yeah because i remember um just like I think in conversations I've had throughout college, I'd be like, oh, I took, I believe I took AES 150 or 151 with Connie. And um, people were like, oh, like, how did you like that class? And I was like, oh, I, I really liked it. Um, pretty heavy on like reading and writing. And they'd be like, oh, then I don't think I'm going to take that. But it's like, you got to put the work in. Like, you're yeah. not going to learn if you're just like breezing through the class. Like, you have to be challenged. So. <laughs> People keep forgetting that you have to read in order to understand complex. <laughs> you have to read in order to learn. Like, yeah. yeah. It's that, or like the professor can stand in front of you and read for like five hours. So, like, take your pick. I don't right. <laughs> And it's like, you know, a part of it's like, it's your job too to, you know, like, do the reading and whatnot. Like, the professor's not going to condense all the information, you know, because a lot of times right. that stuff can't be condensed. Like, you have to understand the full extent of the context and like Mm -hmm. to really grasp you know whatever you're learning about i think that's a lot of people's hesitancy when it comes to just like learning is because they want so much of it to be spoon-fed to them Mm -hmm. and it's like it's not that easy like i hate reading so bad (laughs) like i can't i my eyes will glaze over and i would rather like not see anything for like five minutes than read a whole page (laughs) but i so i'm a part of fossa's political committee and they're doing a book club and so we're reading um freedom is a constant struggle by angela davis and this was something where i was like okay i really gotta try so i have the book and i have an audiobook and i play the audiobook while i read the book so that I can't stray from it because otherwise my mind just goes. Wait, I love that. Like, I think that's a really good way to be, like, really focused. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a struggle for me. I, yeah, 
so someone like me who has like a very very small attention span like I had to find something that made it work because I couldn't just make excuses mm -hmm. and like only gain knowledge from like tiny infographics on Instagram I want to like read theory and make my own conclusions too yeah definitely I think um people are really falling into this but instagram should be like a starting point and then you need to you know do the work elsewhere and yeah i for um the book club i was in we read our prisons obsolete by angela davis and i really want to learn more books by angela davis and I, I also read this article about how important it is to read from black authors and not white authors talking about race because how are you gonna like how can you trust white people to talk about the black experience like i don't know yeah yeah is that like kind of shade at the person who wrote white fragility like they are, <laughs> they're literally profiting off like they shouldn't be profiting off of that of I other know. people's experiences it's so odd to me that's why that's why i tell people like because a lot of people come to me and they're like oh can you teach me about these things i'm like I hope you know I'm not an authority on this. Mm -hmm. I hope you didn't think about Black Lives Matter and think that you should come to me. Because <laughs> like, right. I'm just some Asian girl. Like, I, you should actually like hear guidance and lived experiences from mm -hmm. Black people because it's not my story to tell. You know, right. it's the whole like you can't be spoon fed and you can't mm -hmm. depend on others to feed you that information that is literally available to you like i think i was really encouraged because a lot of the books that um were on reading lists there a lot of them are available online it's yeah. kind of it's kind of hard to read not gonna lie like both our prisons obsolete and between the world and me i read it like pdf on computer it's kind of hard because like my eyes glaze over too but it's like all the information is out there it's accessible if it's not if it's if like financial um barriers are like a reason why you can't purchase books then yeah like audible has free trials and like uw library has a lot of online resources so i don't like there's so much growth that you can get from reading even though i hate reading too <laughs> but it's, it's like so much knowledge is out there so. yeah i used the audible free trial i got my three books and i left <laughs> no <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's yeah. fire. I, I think like it's it's just nice too how people are really starting. I mean, not as much as you want maybe, but like just realizing that the internet is a true source of like information, you know, like mm -hmm. people are utilizing Instagram and Twitter like as actual ways to inform people rather than just like posting fucking selfies and shit, right? Like, uh, yeah. like I, I, I think, you know, for so long, social media was plagued by you know just kind of like this fake you know this upfront like lifestyle that people aren't really truly living so it's it's finally starting to shape itself into like a tool of you know mm -hmm. like transporting this information which is like really good you know um but yeah i jubilee do you think you want to cut close here yeah, unfortunately, I just realized it's 9.15, so we're, like, twice over time. But, um, yeah, Eden, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we had, like, such a great time hearing about your experiences. And, yeah, we're really just encouraged by 
your activism on your own platforms and in the communities that you're present in. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, we do want to wrap it up with our songs of the week. Um, so to the people listening, we always recommend one song from each of us that we've been really liking these days. And we also have a compiled playlist that we release every week. Um, but Ian, do you want to go ahead and share what your song of the week is? Oh my God, I don't even know how to say his name. Um, but it's uh, Like I Want You by Giveon, I think is how you say it. It's very like slow soul. Dude, I was like so surprised because Clarence told me before you got on the call that that was your song of the week. And I was like, I was about to pick that song because, yeah, like my brother and I have been listening to him so much. And I think I discovered him from like a Daniel Caesar, like radio or something, because he kind of has a similar vibe with him, like voice wise. But that song is so good. It's really good. I, w- I didn't know whether or not to choose Heartbreak Anniversary or, the- or Like I Want You. Yeah. Also, World We Created is so beautiful. I love that song. I, I Every time I hear his voice, I'm like, whoa, you know, like, it's crazy. It's like yeah, it's so different than, like, your typical kind of voice, but that's a great song. Very good choice. Thank you. Um, Jubilee, do you want to go next? Yes, so my song of the week is, I don't know how to pronounce their name either, but it's spelled I-L-H-A-M, Ilham, Ilham, I'm not quite sure, but they have this song called Uh (laughs) Uh-huh, like, uh (laughs) uh-huh, and there's like a lo-fi mix of it on Spotify, Um, it's kind of a little bit like alternative R&B, especially with the lo-fi twist to it. But I've been listening to that a lot, and it's kind of cool to hear like the non-remix version because it's it's like female rap, so it's I like both versions. But that's my song of the week. Fire. Um, and to finish it off, my song of the week is "Come Over" by Van Jess. It's mm. uh, our you know design friend classmate worked on that cover art, and so. I was very adamant about listening to it and it's so good, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of like Kate Renata and like she or they worked with Kate Renata as well and yeah. so it's uh, good vibes. <laughs> for real, um, like shout out to Melissa Takai, she's our friend from design and we're so happy to see our peers being successful and getting new projects. But yeah, like Van Jess is such a throwback because I remember discovering them from YouTube and just like hearing their piano covers like it's amazing to see how they've grown um yeah and like i i like almost forgot about like what they sounded like too like they also <laughs> were during like when chloe and Haley were also like posting covers on youtube too i remember i think i found them like from the suggested from chloe and Haley. so okay also shout out to them because they killed that oh, oh my gosh they're so funny. wow <laughs> i'm just like wow that's crazy like you're it's actually really, that, should been that should not have been the pre-show I know. for real that was they, they only put them in the pre-show because they were scared that they would blow everyone else off the water during the main show mm-hmm. that's it for real? yeah that's yeah Honestly, like, yeah, Chloe X Haley, I've been listening to their music a lot as well because they they released an album, but they're just amazing. I'm so happy to see both, like, 
Van Jess and Chloe X Haley, like two duo groups, like just do so well and like start their career off on their own. And then like it's Chloe X Haley, they're on the same label or they're like under Beyonce, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they sign with Beyonce. Wait, I don't want to be, I don't want to be fake. So I'll just tell you, I'm pretty sure it's Hallie, not Haley. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Hi, Chloe X Hallie. Fuck. Okay. Sure that's why you gotta be open to learning, bro. Yeah, bro. I'm calling but, you in. I'm calling um, you out. Might be Chloe X Hallie. Might be. And um, I think I watched them on like Grownish too. Yeah. I, I remember when they were like on Radio Disney or like they were like between commercials or something. Mm. On I remember. True fans. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? Um, but thanks for telling me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to save you the heartbreak later. And that's the theme of the show. <laughs> Learn from your mistakes, apply yeah. it, and change. That's yeah. the motto. Maybe we're trying to figure out like what the title of the episode will be. So Yeah, any ideas? <laughs> uh Learning and unlearning. Mm. Something, I don't know. You don't have to use that. That's okay. I like that, though. It's good. Um, <laughs> I like that. But yeah, thank you again, Eden, um, for so your last words. And yeah, just for sharing your time with us. Um, everyone, we will have Eden's information in the bio. So check her out. Um, on Instagram, possibly Twitter, and then we'll also have a link tree to resources for Black Lives Matter, um, just to make sure, like, constantly check on it to see the new petitions, events, or other resources um, to use your platform. But yes, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. See you soon. Bye.